0: We are here on a Wednesday night. It is June 7th, 2023. And we are in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Chapter 21 of Deuteronomy. If one be found slain in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him, Then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take an heifer which hath not been wrought with, and which hath not drawn in the yoke, And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer unto a rough valley which is neither eared nor sown and shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. Pretty rough, huh? So you can see you can see here that Moses had been dealing with the nation of Israel they're moving into the promised land and they they need all these instructions they're setting up The laws, you know, this is how you conduct warfare, that's what we went over last week. Uh, This is how you um, make examples of things so that people will hear and fear and obey God. Um, Talking about testing prophets and uh, talking about who is able to do certain things and how it was very important that the people you put into different positions in your government need to be godly people, and we need to have the, the ministers, people who are connected with God, be a part of it and to never separate them. So there, there's a whole lot of stuff that we have read through um, Deuteronomy that our founding in this country of the United States of America was based on a lot of this and you and you can see it if you read this stuff and you can pick up on some points. Now I don't think anybody has ever taken a heifer out and chopped his head off in this country. I mean that's not, that, that was something very Jewish in nature, but it's, it's extreme. I mean, it's, it's pretty extreme. And this, this heifer, it couldn't be just anyone they walked up to. It had to be one that was, was young because it hadn't done any kind of work. And it, that was to symbolize something. It was innocent. It was taken to a certain spot. Um, and then... The priests didn't do the sacrifice. So this wasn't a sacrifice. This was different than a sacrifice. The priest didn't do it, they would just watched it happen and make sure that it did happen. But it was the government officials that did this from the nearest city. So we, what we have now is in, in a, uh, a crime has happened. Well, jurisdiction. Who has jurisdiction over this? Well, they were just setting it up. Who was responsible? to take care of the situation. Well, what has happened is a person has been killed and they find the person, so you can't find the person who's responsible. That's what's going on. So you you find somebody and this is how you take care of it. Well, why was it so important to go through this? Five. And the priest, the sons of Levi, shall come near. For them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their words shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. So you want the ministers of God involved. It's something that just made perfect sense to them. Well, in this country, we are not wanting that at all. We don't want any kind of spiritual guidance. We want to push that to the side. Verse 6, "...and all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley." So this valley and rough place represented something. Them having water to bring to where this heifer has been beheaded, and they washed their hands over top of it. I wrote down Isaiah 26, verse 21. It says, For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain." So this innocent, this person may have been an innocent person, and innocent blood may have been shed in this situation. Now, they don't know for sure, but by what they gather, this is innocent blood, the person who's responsible for it, we've already read about that before. What would happen to that person if he was found? If the murderer, the person who, or the slayer was found, if it was by accident, he better be running to the city of refuge real quick. But if it wasn't by accident and it was a willful deed, that man had to die. They would take him before the elders of the city, and then all the people of the city, would the men of the city, would gather up stones, and they would stone him to death. And then that would, that would take care of the innocent blood that was shed, and it would, it would uh, cause, if, let's say they let the guy off, the guy who did the killing, they said, well, we'll let you go this time. Just don't do that anymore well, then that blood would require the vengeance of God. Your your land would have a curse on it if you didn't do something about it. If this is all true now in this land that we live in, and all the people who have been let go for shedding innocent blood, and we've even made it legal to shed the blood of innocent little babies in their mother's womb, Can you imagine how cursed this earth is? This land that we live on here in the United States of America? It's scary to think about. Well, here they had no person to stone to death if it was, in fact, innocent blood. So they had to, as a community, they had to have a replacement come out, and that was this poor heifer, this this cow. Had to be taken out and beheaded in this rough valley, barrenness. um, That that just just think about a rough valley, and that's that's what you're going to live in. A very rough time. Your your homeland is going to turn into a very rough area to live in, and that was why they took it to that rough valley. And then in. Psalm 26, I'm going to turn there and read it. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read a little tiny bit here. Psalm 26. Actually, I'll just read the whole thing. It's uh, not very long. All right, this is a Psalm of David. And listen carefully. Now, remember what we just read over in Deuteronomy that uh, the hands being washed over top of the heifer. Psalm 26, a psalm of David. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. So David is bringing up, he's he's, he's praising God, and he is purposely walking in integrity, doing what he knows is right. I have trusted also in the Lord, Therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. For thy lovingkindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked." I will wash mine hands in innitcy. So will I can pass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the, the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, you see here, washing his hands in Ennesty. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord. So, uh, all right, now no, I was down at nine. My life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. Even place? Not on a slippery slope. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. So that's Psalm 26. Just 12 short verses. All right, let me, uh, let me at least get to verse 9 over in Deuteronomy 21. All right, it's verse 7. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood. This is right after the, uh, they go up and wash their hands over top of the heifer. Heifer being the cow, and they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. So they're declaring that they don't know who this person is that did this, and they're confessing that they have no part in it. They're not hiding anything from anybody. And then it says, Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and laid not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge. So because of this person they just found out in the field somewhere, they're so concerned that that is going to cause God to, to punish them somehow. They, and they're pleading, don't, don't place this innocent blood on us. You see how, how, how uh, determined they were to make sure everything was good? We don't do that in this country. We're, we don't seem to care about the innocent blood that's being shed. And then at the, the end of 8 says, And the blood shall be forgiven them. 9. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. All right, that's, that's the first section of 21, talking about defiling the land, having a curse on the land because of the shedding of innocent blood, and it has to be dealt with. And if we don't deal with it, we're going to be in bad shape when God realizes that we haven't uh, been remorseful and done the things that need to be done to take care of it, then he's going to judge us severely. So I'm going to turn to Jonah, the little prophet Jonah, the little book of Jonah. All right, you know, you, most of you know that story, just in case somebody's listening um, and, and they don't know the story of Jonah. Jonah was instructed by God to go to a very bad place. They were the enemies of Israel, and they had done horrible things to Israel. Jonah did not want to see them to be be forgiven in any way. He wanted the judgment of God to fall on them. God wanted him to go and preach to them. So he decides to go the other way. He does not get on the boat that's going to take him to where he was told to go by God, but he gets on a different boat and goes in the opposite direction. Now, what happens? Do you remember what happens in that story? This terrible storm comes up, and it looks like everybody's going to die. The ship's going to come apart, and they're all going to die. And Jonah, he tells the... Remember, all these men that are working the boat... They're just heathen. They're heathen people. They're, they're, they're not Israelites at all. They, they're just bad dudes that are out on the sea, rough guys. And Jonah tells them what's going on and that you just need to get rid of me and you'll be okay. And, what, and look at what they said. It says uh, uh, in 12, this, this is Jonah chapter 1, verse 12. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And and then the men, what did they do? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was temptuous against them. So he gave them the solution all they had to do was toss him over, but they they don't want to do that. They're trying to save the boat and get to the shore. And then they said in 14, when they realized that wasn't going to happen and they're going to have to resort to what Jonah told them to do, they said, "Wherefore they." Right, it says, wherefore they cried unto the Lord. They know that there's a God. You know, everybody knows that there's a God. Everybody deep down inside knows. So they're in this moment of distress, they're looking up at the Lord, and they're saying to the Lord, and this is what they said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. So he, they're preparing God. Look, we're getting ready to toss him over because we don't all want to die. And then then they said, here's the part I want you to hear, and lay not upon us innocent blood. The heathen even know that. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took Jonah up and tossed him in, and then, of course, he got swallowed up by a big whale, and then the, the sea calmed down. So there's an example of people who really didn't seem like they cared much about what god wanted but when things got really really bad deep down they knew that if you kill somebody that was innocent there's a god in heaven that is not going to let you get away with it and they were scared to kill an innocent man all right now back to deuteronomy 21 verse 10. now some of this stuff seems a little crazy. It's, if you want to follow it through and from chapter 21 through 25, it's going to be kind of back and forth, back and forth. And and you'll be thinking, well, why didn't he just cover that when we were already in that subject over here? And then he went off on something totally different and now we're back to what he was saying before. So as we go through these, I guess it's four chapters or so, over the next few weeks, we'll, we're just I'm going to follow it the way it is in here. Easier for me to keep, keep track, track of it. All right, so now we're back to really what could be under the law of warfare, which we covered last week. Verse 10, When thou goest forth to war against thine enemies... And the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive. Remember, this would not be for them going into the land of Canaan, the promised land that they're going in to conquer. This here would not work for that. We, and we went over that last week. Why? But in other places, this is what you could do. And seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and hast a desire unto her that thou wouldest have her to thy wife. Then thou shalt bring her home to, to thine house, and she shall shave her head. And that doesn't necessarily mean, that just means cut, cut most of her hair off. It doesn't necessarily mean shave it all the way off. It may, but I don't think it, it does. And pair her nails. Okay, what is... Uh, there's different thoughts uh, of why she would do this. And we'll try to touch on, on them. But I'm going to read a little bit further before we do. And she shall, And she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off her and shall remain in thine house. So the the type of clothing and things she would have wore from where she was from, she would get those off, just get rid of those things, and then put on something different that was more in line with what the Israelites would, would wear. And shall remain in thine house, and bewail her father and her mother a full month. And after that, thou shalt go in unto her and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. All right, so we already know that this is a beautiful woman that he has a desire for, and if he takes her, it, he, they've won the battle, so, most, so the men are going to all be dead after the battle, so there's going to be a bunch of wives that don't have husbands anymore, and then they would be free to marry another. Because their husbands are dead. And if you saw a woman that you wanted to take back to be your wife, you could take her because she's a captive. And, but you had to wait for one full month. Okay? You've already seen that she was a beautiful woman. Okay? One thought is if, if you bring her back and then cut all of her hair off and to pare her nails, whatever that is uh then she wouldn't be nearly as attractive as she was when you first saw her that's one thinking so if you but here here's probably what is for cleansing it's to make sure there was nothing crawling around in her hair like lice or whatever uh you would want to she would have to go through a cleansing process to make sure that there was nothing bad about her for her disease wise And then you would have this whole month to, instead of being, uh, having this lustful desire for her, you would have a month to actually get to know her and to really think about, do I really want to take her to be my wife? And you are giving her a chance to mourn for being taken away from her homeland, whether her mom and dad died or they just, she got taken from them after the battle was over. Chances are her dad would have been killed in the battle because no man should be left alive. So this is, this is giving some protection for the beautiful woman that was taken. Because if he went through with consummating the marriage, them coming together after one month, and then that would make them you know, one flesh, and they would be husband and wife, then that puts her in a really bad situation if you don't take care of her from then on. If you don't really truly like her, want her anymore, then that, that month time was to protect her from that situation. So after shaving her head and having a whole month and letting her bewail her father and mother a full month, and after that, Thou shalt go in unto her, and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. And it shall be, if thou have no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go, whither she will, but thou shalt not sell her at all for money. Thou shalt not make merchandise of her, because thou hast humbled her. Yes. Well, yeah, but, you know, you know in, in, with just the nation of Israel, they had that betrothal period. Um, this is not anywhere near as long as that, right? That's only a month. A betrothal period would last a long time, probably even maybe a couple years before they ever got to the point where, where they actually came together to be husband and wife. So yes, it would be a little bit of a uh, time. You know, we, aren't you glad we don't do this stuff anymore? This stuff, this is crazy stuff, but this is what, and when you get into the New Testament, you're gonna see where Jesus would never go for this type of thing. You know, it's, it's so different in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament. And you'll, you'll hear things like, because of the hardness of their hearts, Moses allowed this stuff. He allowed this to happen. You know, there were, well, this next one here. We'll, I'll wait to, to say it on the next one. But just I'm, basically, I'm thinking about uh, Jacob being, you know, falling in love with Rachel, and then being tricked into marrying Leah. So we'll we're getting ready to come up on some scripture that that'll be more suited to. But uh, yeah, this this is tough. Now, it's not saying that having you would think that this man who went into war was already married but you see in scripture where in the old testament there was many cases where there were multiple wives um you can go over to uh, other countries now especially africa and i know some ministers you know guys that i've met that have gone over there to be missionaries my cousin's over there you know being a missionary uh, been been doing that for years with his family well, they see men who were married to many women, and if you know, they go by the Bible, if that man wants to be a minister or a preacher over there, he can't. He's got to be the husband of one wife. So he, he's not eligible to do that. And it would be unfair to the women to get rid of a bunch of them because technically they're still his wife. They, he can't just get rid of them. And it would be... If, if he had them killed off, then he's a murderer. So then he's disqualified. So you're just not qualified. You don't measure up to what the Bible says to be a minister. Okay, all right, where was I at? 15, if a man have two wives, well, that could also say three, four, five, you know, but if he has more than one, If he has two wives, now the reason it says two is because this is going to talk about the situation that Jacob was under. He had one that he didn't care that much for, and he had one that he was very much in love with. And in that situation, it didn't go like what this situation is telling you to do. But there's there's more reason behind why Jacob didn't follow this. But here's what you're supposed to do. If a man have two wives, one beloved, and another hated, and they have borne him children. Now, when you see this word hated, it's not the way we're thinking of it today. It just means that compared to the love he has for the one, it's kind of like hating the other. It, it, it's not that he absolutely hates her. It's, that's not what it's saying. And they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. So if if you go to the story of Jacob, Reuben was the firstborn to Leah. And Joseph actually got what the firstborn would get. Now Joseph was the firstborn of the loved wife, the one that was really loved. So you would think Jacob was breaking this right here. But remember, Reuben did something very bad to lose the inheritance. So Jacob uh, was also fulfilling another scripture, where the first man or the firstborn was pushed aside and the secondborn was the one that was lifted up. So, here on a normal everyday living in your community, they were not to take the actual firstborn and push him aside where he doesn't get the blessing. The double portion. But we have examples throughout Scripture where Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob is the one who was above him. Esau would be lower than, than Jacob. You have, uh, what's, what's the, uh, another one? Can you think of another one? Joseph's two sons. Manasseh and Ephraim. When they were to be blessed by the grandfather, he crossed his hands over, he put his right hand on the younger one. Joseph was very troubled by that. So, what is is that showing us? One, it's showing us that the first man, Adam, lost everything, but the second man, Jesus Christ, got it all back. It also is a picture of when we are born into this world, fleshly born into this world, we can't have salvation. That man has to die and then be born again, so the second birth is where you want to be to get salvation. Okay. 17, but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is is his. All right, now the, the last section, there's three main sections to this. Um, what you do when you find the person slain, innocent blood was probably shed, and what you do as a community when you don't have the person to punish, and now you have this what you could call just basic domestic uh, rules you know what you do when you take a beautiful woman I mean you know it, it that's those things have had happened so they needed it in their um, their laws and then the to make sure that you didn't show respect to persons and you do what's right that is about the firstborn son. So now we get to 18. And this is basically a prodigal son under the law. Okay, a prodigal son under the law, that's rough. Bad news if you're a prodigal son under the law. But if, you're a, if you want to compare it to the prodigal son in the New Testament, way different outcome. So... We need to see that if you're under the law, that's death. Nothing good is going to come out of that. But if you're under grace, then you're good. So let's read about this prodigal son back in the Old Testament. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, all right, that, that doesn't it say, it's not saying that he's just not all that smart and just can't do much for himself. This is a willful Stubbornness and rebelliousness, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, that means they have punished him, they did not withhold the rod of correction, but it doesn't seem to work, and he's still very bad, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. Okay, the gate, remember that's kind of like the courthouse area. That's the, the part of the city where the people who were in charge, they sat there and made judgments on situations. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. So, if you have a stubborn and rebellious kid, what's going to happen? I mean, they don't, they don't follow any correction, so what does that lead to? It leads to being so self-absorbed, and you want what you want. Um, you know, we, uh, we were talking the other night at the house and I was talking about how, there was a, it was a comedian that I had listened to and he was talking about generations and how he was in between, this man was my age, which is 50-something. Alright, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a certain generation, but, but my, my father's generation, the baby boomer generation, and he was talking about how the baby boomer generation can't get along with the generation after what would be my generation. I guess that's Z. Is it Gen Z? Is that what's after me? I don't know. All right. Well, so he was a go between. And he would help the baby boomer generation work with the younger generation. And he he had an example. He said, you know, back when I was a kid, when my mom and dad, when we were going to go on a trip, he said, we got what was called a map, and we opened that thing up and laid it out on the dining room table, and it took up the whole table. And he said, the first thing you had to do was you had to find where you were. And then start to, he said, you had to plan uh, the day before you left and, and write out which roads you were going to take. You had to really plan ahead. He said, today's generation, they just pick up their phone, and when they type in where they want to go, he said, they are all of a sudden the center of everything. There's a blue dot that that's me, and everything else is around me. I'm the center of everything. And you just hit go, and it tells you where to go. And you end up where you wanted to go. And then he said, he was talking about, he said, but my generation, that was when computers first started getting popular and he said we had this thing called MapQuest and we would print off 18 pages and it would tell us step by step how to get somewhere. He said the first three to five pages was just to get you out of your neighborhood. (laughs) And and it was really registered to me because I remember doing that. So, uh, so, today's generation, if it would be like this. If you're stubborn and rebellious, and then what, what will happen is you will become the center of everything. That's what's wrong with our new generation that we have right now, is they are so self-absorbed. They have these phones, and they take selfies of each other, and they send them out on these social media stuff, and they want people to like and to say, oh, you're so beautiful, or this, that, or the other, and it's all about them. So that's what you get. So we have a whole lot of kids today that may need to be taken to the gate of the city and the elders and uh, to deal with this. And what happens when you take them and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, okay, <clears throat> that's what happens to people when they don't Follow the rules. And what do you do when you're bringing up a kid? You're showing them limitations. You know, they can't just do whatever they want to do. If you allow a little kid to have whatever they want, anytime they want it, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be very, very bad. <clears throat> if you show them that, yes, you know, that. Ice cream is very good, but you only get this one little bowl. Well, it stays really, really good forever when you only have a little tiny bit. But if you're a glutton and you eat as much as you want, it's not going to be good. Now, it it says a glutton and a drunkard. A lot of, I mean, I knew a lot of guys when I was growing up that we went through high school and they turned into drunkards. So, uh, in uh, Proverbs, Proverbs thirty-one. Here it is. The you you know most everybody knows the blast part of Proverbs thirty-one, but we're not going to be talking about that. The beginning of it is so different, and it says uh, this: Proverbs thirty-one, verse one. It's the words of King. Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. His mother taught him. He's a a king. And And he said, What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes' strong drink. Well, why? Why not? He's a king. He can do whatever he wants. But why should they not? Verse 5, Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. You will not judge well when you're drunk. You'll make very bad decisions. And if you're somebody who's supposed to be a leader, why would you ever put yourself in that situation? There's too many people counting on you. Then 6 says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. You know, they're on their deathbed. Maybe they need some, you know, something to uh, help them with their pain as they die. And wine to those uh, that be of heavy hearts, let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Poverty and misery comes along with a drunkard for sure. Now, uh, the, um, this, this next verse is, uh, it, just because it's here, I'll point it out to you, but this is one of the verses that I have in one of my, uh, you know, sermons that I've done on abortion. The next verse, uh, thirty-one eight, it says, "Open thy mouth for the dumb," which means those who cannot speak, in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Mothers who go to the abortion clinic that little baby inside of them, is appointed to destruction and they cannot say anything on their behalf. So a king, a leader of the country, it says here, open thy mouth for the dumb or those who cannot speak for themselves in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Another thing that you can point to in this country, very few are willing to do that. Very few leaders of this country are willing to do this. And the ones who do have enough uh, righteousness about them to speak out, they are ridiculed and um, talked very bad about. All right, back to uh, Deuteronomy. This is what happens to this prodigal son in the, under the law. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones. You know, people whine about spanking a kid today. You know, I got a whole list in, in one of my notebooks out of Proverbs where we are supposed to uh, not spare the rod. We're supposed to take the rod to the backsides of little kids that are going, doing wrong things. But here, it's so you think that's bad? All you people out there that think that that's terrible? To spank a kid? Well, how about stoning them with stones? Yeah, Yeah, so that they die. That he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. You know, that's a good way to do it. Stone all these rotten little kids so that they die, and then you're getting evil out of the system. That's what their purpose was back then. And all Israel shall hear and fear. It's, I think it's four times in Deuteronomy that it says hear and fear. And then right before that it says, shalt thou put evil away? Put evil away. I think I read in one of these books, uh, one of my commentaries, it says that the phrase put evil away is nine times in the book of Deuteronomy. Nine. That number of judgment put evil away. It's t- we're told that nine times in Deuteronomy. 22 And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be to be and and he be to be put to death and thou hang him on a tree. Now, the Jewish people they didn't hang people. Now they stoned them to death. We already we just saw that. But then they would take that bloody body and hang it up so that people can not only hear in fear, but they can see in fear. That's what they would do. Make a public display of what happens to this person when they uh, do something worthy of death by stoning so that other people will see it and be afraid of it. And they'll hang him on a tree his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now, you know, Jesus was hung on a tree. You know, you're suspended between heaven and the earth. You're, just, you're in that despair. You don't have any place you're going, you're hung up there. And it's known by this verse that when Jesus was taken and hung on that cross, that that people were thinking of this. How could this be the Son of God? Because the Bible says that anyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. And we also know that he didn't hang there all night. They had to get all those people off the crosses so the land wouldn't be defiled. So, what have we learned? We have learned that the New Testament is way better than the Old Testament. Thank goodness that we, uh, we are under the New Testament. And this past Sunday, we were in, in Hebrews chapter 9. And, of course, this Sunday, we'll be, we'll be right back in 9. Because there's a lot more I wanted to go over in chapter 9 so we're going to get right back into that and that shows us that new testament and how it is different than the old and how the old is to get us turned in the right direction you know as a, as a nation there's a lot of old testament principles that we really should have in our government that keep those people who don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ and being born again to keep those people in line. They, they, you know, they, heathen people need to have that knowledge like those p- guys who didn't want to throw Jonah into the sea. They need, people need, instead of going out and not having any worry whatsoever of killing others, they need to be very scared of going out and killing others. Alright, <clears throat> Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night, this, this time that we can come together and study your Word. Father, as as we go through Deuteronomy and just see what's in your Word and, Father, learn from it and understand that you know, there was the old way of doing things, the, the ways that point us in the right direction. And Father, that we would allow the Old Testament to do that. To that we need to know it. We need to understand. And Father, uh, let it get let a, let this all this word of God here in the Old Testament get us turned toward that Jordan River. And Father, we're looking, we're looking for our Joshua, which is Jesus Christ, to take us through the Jordan and into the promised land. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.